0: Okay. Yeah. So um, actually, Paul, I'm good points. You raised Paul. Um, uh, And I can tell some of your questions are related to, yeah, like the fantastical nature of the story. And so one question that Paul asked was uh, what does this story point to? Right. And uh, I want to start with that. I thought that was a very relevant question. Um, And I want to say the text of the scripture, it always points to a deeper truth. Right, um, Scrit, what you guys are doing in your reflections is uh, uh, you're you're articulating kind of uh, your uh, experiences and also your interpretation of what this means. Uh, a lot of. At the end, that scripture, that's what it is. People have had some original experiences, you know? Uh, They they had some kind of encounter or an experience of divine presence uh, in a very challenging situation. Uh, And then these stories got passed along, right? And over time, people started to attach more meaning to it. Oh, this is what this meant, or this was actually God that was present, Right. And these stories, as they got told, eventually got um, got put into writing, and 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 these writings got comp- edited and compiled, and uh, that's the Bible that as we have it today, right? It's it's a product of uh, a lot of um, stories being passed and and interpretation and meaning attached to it. Um, so when we read scripture, it always does point to deeper truth. Um, uh, in the Gospel of John, for example, uh, uh, the author calls like the miracles signs, right? Uh, uh, in other words, they are signs that point to something else, right? So one analogy is uh, when you see a finger pointing to the moon, we don't focus on the finger, but we, we focus on what the finger points to, right? So in the same way, when we read a Bible, uh just doesn't end with the surface level text of what the bible is saying right Uh, it's always pointing to something deeper Um, let me use another analogy the knowledge that we have as human beings it's like a little island right island of knowledge in a vast ocean right Um, so what we know is very little in part Um, and stories in the bible what they do is they help shed a glimpse of a little bit more of that ocean beyond our little island of knowledge, right? So little by little, our island grows, our understanding grows, our knowledge grows, but it will always still be an island in comparison to the ocean, which is kind of the depths of God and God's reality, right? And so what human beings often do is, a uh, when they really think about it, when we really think about it, we get kind of scared by the vastness of the ocean, right? So we take what little knowledge we have and we build systems of knowledge and belief. Uh, and then we start to feel safe in that. And then everything gets filtered through that system of belief and knowledge that we've built up. And that system, I mean, it helps us make sense of this vast world we live in. Right. But, um, uh, Stories of the Bible, what they do is they reveal something different. Instead, of, instead of um, fitting into built-up systems of belief and knowledge, a lot of these stories are how these systems are kind of uh, broken down, right? Broken down, they reveal a greater reality of God. Uh, so, another, let me let me give you an example, right? Um, you know, Saint Paul, uh, before he met uh, Christ, Jesus on the road to Damascus, he He was very firm on his system of belief, right? And um, that's why he started persecuting the church because uh, what these followers of Jesus were uh, proclaiming was so against his understanding of correct faith, uh, the the, the Jewish correct faith, right? But when he met uh, Christ on the road to Damascus, what really happened was that his fixed understanding was broken down, right? Right. And um, that's why he, he was blind for three days. And, and finally, um, uh, the scales fell off his eyes and he could see, right? That, that, that's a good example of uh, what these biblical stories are about. Uh, uh, so when, so often in Bible study, if we read it from our own existing system of belief and knowledge, uh, it might feel safer and more certain, but all we're doing is reinforcing, that system of belief and knowledge that we've built up, but real Bible study is coming uh, with humility and openness and uh, being ready to have our system broken down so that God might build up, build up something more real and true. Right. So that's kind of uh, uh, the approach we take. So even uh, uh, going back, so to something like Jonah, right. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Paul's asked, is this story real or fictional? And does that matter? Uh, so related to what I said, the more important thing is what the story points to. Okay, So some background in terms of historical accuracy. Uh, I mean, no one can really say uh, in First Kings, there is a reference to a prophet named Jonah, son of Amittai uh and but it's just a reference there's there's nothing else about him really in the bible so we don't know anything else from any other sources in the bible so likely though there was an individual a prophet named uh jonah and he probably had some role and but somehow uh stories probably started circulating about him and the life that he lived and it's possible that he had some ministry related to nineveh right um but, uh, but apart from that, we don't really know, but what we do have is what we, the, the current book of Jonah. Now, in terms of the context, some of you guys are asking, Nineveh, it was the capital uh, city, city of Assyria. Okay. So Assyria was one of the first major empires to, uh, develop in the middle East and it dominated the whole region uh, for, for some time until it was taken over by Babylon and then other empires. Uh, but what Assyria did was, uh, at that time, uh, uh, at one point, the kingdom of Israel was united under King David and Solomon. But after them, uh, it divided into two kingdoms, right? Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Israel in the north was actually, they're more prosperous for a long time and they're doing better. But when Assyria uh, came to power, they just crushed Israel. They they obliterated them, basically. And, and their foreign policy was to... Uh, Um, bring in all these people from other nations and and mix them, intermarry them and mix so that they would no longer have the original national identity. So that's what happened to Israel. And uh, um, Nineveh was the cap. It was the largest city of that time. It was the capital of Assyria. And so Nineveh would probably represent the forces that destroyed Israel. Right. So, Already from there, we get a question, you know, how do you think Jonah might have felt toward Nineveh, right? Uh, this question will become more relevant next week. But um, uh, yeah, that's a question. So I learn. Hope you're well. Um, uh, Nineveh was the largest city in the known world at the time, but it, it was not three days walk across. Uh, so already this gives some clues as to, kind of book jonah is a very unique book it's it's considered a prophetic book like it's in the section of prophets with like you know ezekiel isaiah and all those other but but people know that it's very different from those other prophetic books those other uh like jeremiah there's a lot of narrative and there is a lot of that based in truth in his real life but jonah scholars do think it's much more allegorical so that i mean that's kind of how we have to see this right um so in terms of Nineveh, so it wasn't three days walk across, but I think the writer wanted to convey that uh, God thought Jonah's work was very important. Right. And so uh, I see DP just joined this. Uh, he asked the calling about whether our calling can have a massive impact on others. Right. I mean, you know, what, what's a massive impact that can be a subjective thing, but I think mean, the point is that going to Nineveh was Jonah's unique calling. And to God, it was a very important calling, right? So I think we reflected on how we too have our very unique calling, a unique life that we're supposed to live. And each life, when lived uniquely that way, will have a different impact. But to God, um, it's a very important impact that we all have to have, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share, I'm going to divide into three groups today. And, uh, we're going to have a much shorter time in, in each groups. And I'm going to give each group a very discrete set of questions. Okay. Uh, so there's three sections. Uh, the first section is going to be on a uh, second time. The second is, uh, the repentance of the Ninevites. And the third is God changing his mind. Okay. So, uh, just give a little frame around each question, uh, so, so Rocky asked questions about verse one a second time. And so I think this is a very important thing to reflect on. Uh, and actually, maybe I will copy some of these questions. Basically, what was different about the second time compared with the first? Right? And what is this second time or chance really about? Second chance to do what? So let me. Okay. So that's first set of questions. Um, let me put it this way: If the story ended in chapter two, then it would actually be a very nice story, wouldn't it? Right? It's a story of redemption. Uh, Jonah refuses his calling. Yeah, he but then he goes down to the depths. He's rescued by God, and he commits to live his life differently. That, that's the typical salvation story, isn't it? Oh, man, I was down in the gutter and God came and rescued me. Hallelujah. Done. Right? Um, it would be a very nice story. But, but the story doesn't end there. It continues and begins with the second time. Right? Uh, so, yeah. So I just want you to reflect on these questions. Okay? Second part, repentance of the Ninevites. Jonah had a very simple message. Right? if you look at it, it's one sentence, 40 days more, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the context is, uh, yeah, Nineveh being overthrown, it would have grave consequences, right? Uh, many enemies and like subjects who is serious is dominated, and I told you about how they dominated, right? Uh, they would take revenge. So basically, if they were um, overthrown, they would probably be wiped out. Okay, so that's how grave... Uh, this way. So it's basically if you look at that message, there's there's no hope. there's no mercy and there's no way out. It's a simple declaration, right? Uh, some of you guys asked about 40 days. Uh, so in the Bible, uh, 40 days 40 connotes a time of great trials, right Great trials, difficult times and hardships. but it's also uh, times of uh, becoming new and new beginnings so to give you some examples noah and the flood so those 40 days and 40 nights it it kind of obliterated the earth but from that a new beginning came about moses spent uh, 40 years uh, in uh, midian in in kind of uh, the pasture um and but from that he found his calling um Israelites spent forty years in the wilderness, time of great trials and uh, learning what it was to really depend on God, and then uh, they emerged from that as the people of God, right? And Jesus spent forty days um, and nights being tempted uh, by Satan. From that, he really affirmed his identity as uh, the Son of God, right? And then began his ministry after that. So forty, you know, a significant number in that sense. So, I'm just throwing out a bunch of questions about repentance. Some of you guys asked about sackcloth, so yeah, why do they cover themselves in this? Uh, here I'll just copy this first, and then you guys can read along with me. Okay, did they believe in God like? because uh, some of you guys asked like did they believe in god like what how did they repent so what is the prerequisitor criteria for repentance anyways right and what did the ninevites repentance look like uh, yeah dps and michelle also affirmed that uh, they didn't do anything extra so what did they do right was it genuine or performative i uh, just a lot of a lot of questions i'm thinking what is repentance right what's the difference between repentance and guilt And then finally, uh, God changed his mind, right? So simply put, what was it that changed God's mind, right? What is it that moves God? And then um, uh, Paul also asked a a comparison. Is this comparable to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? In, In that case, you know, was God willing to change his mind, right? If so, on what basis? And what's the difference between them and the Ninevites? So let me just... Put this here. Okay. All right. So, um, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted us to read it again because, uh, I think I mentioned, you know, yeah, they're reading it ten times. Uh, everything that we are asking, uh, is really from the text, right? So the more carefully we read more kind of thoughts and questions pop out. And I really liked a lot of the questions that you guys asked. Uh, uh and I kind of based a lot of these on your questions, right? So, uh, yeah, I encourage us to keep doing that. Okay. So let's go, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, one group at a time. So we'll just, uh, you can share, uh, any insights that came your way and then we'll kind of, uh, it to the big group okay so who's the group on second time what what kind of uh, thoughts did you
1: have
2: uh that was my group so in terms of the first question what was different about the second time coming to the first um we just uh talked a bit about um like jonah's heart and the state of his heart in both situations so in chapter one um he was uh, a bit hard-hearted he was resistant to God's calling and um, just disobedient and then uh, obviously this time he had had a change of heart and in, in the depths and um, was had a more willing heart to listen to God and carry out um, his calling um, yeah and then someone mentioned also like just yeah he wasn't running away or sleeping anymore and he was actually active and engaging Uh, with God's will Um, and for the second part of our question about what the second chance is really about um, we talked about how uh, this uh, really demonstrated God's grace and mercy and even giving um, Jonah a second chance to do this um, and that God wouldn't give up um, on Jonah and nor will he give up on us Um, and then we talked a bit about uh, how because this was Jonah's unique calling, it was a way to show that this was something that Jonah was uniquely equipped to do and something that could maybe probably only be carried out through him. Um, yeah, unless anyone else wants to add on. Okay,
0: good, good. Yeah, okay, uh, good discussion. You guys had good points. Uh, so uh, the first thing you meant, oh man, I'm getting old or something. Okay. forget already um oh yeah first thing you mentioned he he had a kind of willing heart now right Uh, no longer running away well what what made him um more willing do you think and, and less uh running away more engaged what what happened in the meantime to get him make him that way
3: This is for anyone, anyone to answer.
4: I mean, I guess the time he spent in the fish, um, you know, I think we had talked about how he was like in true worship with God. And it wasn't like even when Jonah ran away it wasn't for lack of faith of God that he was running away. So maybe he was able to just really um, either see himself as God really sees him or just, you know, see God for like how God has carried him. And he just had like a different understanding or like his eyes were open, kind of like how you were talking about in the beginning, like when, eyes or the scales fell from his eyes like he just was able to see things in a different light and maybe that is um you know the time that he was able to really spend with god and worship with god he was able to yeah really have a different perspective so the second time that god called him it had a different meaning to him
3: yeah
5: So if we take the, the, the text literally, right, and if we imagined ourselves being Jonah, all right, maybe a couple of days back, we had, we had a turbulent sea, all right? And we know that we don't really have control over the weather. And he said, all right, throw me into the sea you know, when the waves are crashing and then all of a sudden a big fish comes and swallow you up and holds you for three days. I mean, I, I, I want to imagine that if if we took that literally and we went through that ourselves, that what should have been a death experience, right? And then God all of a sudden sends a big fish or a whale to come swallow you up. It's going to have a change of heart, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, pretty big moment. I mean, I don't know many people who've been in the the belly of a whale. Have you? You know, so (laughs) it it, it just, I think what changed really was, you know, when you have a, I I guess when I think about it, it's like, hey, sometimes we feel that God is so far away. And when we have an intervention moment in our lives that really solidifies his presence, his hand upon us, where we come to a place of being internally grateful, Mm -hmm. right? And we no longer question the divinity or the power or the sovereignty of God over our lives. So I think that's what changed, Mm -hmm. in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so you guys both talked about how uh, God became more real to Jonah, right? And the but the way God became more real, uh, yeah, was uh, his life became more real, right? When he was on the boat, he was basically like sleeping, right? And I think some of you in your reflections talked about kind of this numbness, right? I mean, I think modern contemporary life, a lot of this life on the boat that we're living in, um, is is a life of numbness. I think our contemporary form of sleeping is kind of numbness not feeling anything so in other words not really living just kind of physically going through emotions right uh but jonah got off that boat i mean uh that's at least a, that's a step he took and when he got off the boat like the water like the the weeds in the water the downward descent that became finally real he was literally in the water he was drowning right uh and then from there, yes, uh, uh, he, he encountered, uh, well, it's not you like he even like met God there. He was in the belly of the fish, but there, as I think Ryan in a reflection said, um, all sensory, everything else was taken away. And all he had time to do was really encounter, uh, himself and what he was, he truly desired, which was to be with God. Right. He desired this to, to see the sanctuary of God. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's the difference uh, the first time and the second time. I think in the, in the, so maybe in our life too, the first time when we're still numb and on the boat, we might have maybe a sense or inclination, but uh, are we really ready to um, really live our life, right? But after he went into the ocean, uh, this time it was more real the second time, right?
3: yeah any other thoughts on second
0: time anyone has oh yeah uh yeah, Michelle, you said um what did you say again about the uh what, what was this second time or chance really about
2: um well, God was able to show his grace and mercy by giving the second chance at all, and then um, yeah. we talked about the unique calling and how
0: that's right Right? What, what do you think? The, the, this was a second chance to live the unique life he's supposed to live. Right? To, to, to live the life that he's supposed to, to be the person he's supposed to be, and uh, do the things he's supposed to do. And Michelle mentioned God's grace and mercy. What does that say about God's grace and mercy? yeah i think uh you know emily you've talked about uh yeah i mean young people there's a lot of pressure to figure things out right and to make the right decisions and with your life and i i mean yeah you know lisa can relate you know having gone through like law school and stuff it's almost like when you're in the thick of law school for example like uh that grade. And then that, that job you land in the summer, it seems so uh, paramount, you know? Uh, uh, And that's the way our our life seems. But, uh, um, you know, uh, when you look at the bigger picture in faith, like uh, God always, God is a God of second chances, right? It's not only the, it's not like there's two chances, but there's always a second chance again and again, right? So, That's some good news about our faith. Okay.
6: So so I had a question. When you were talking about the whole, they were in like Jonah's kind of way of changing again was, you know, through encountering himself, but wouldn't you say like, it's also, I guess like a part of that was because of God, because like, if I'm just reading this passage, uh, in, in like chapter two, like he, he recognizes and understands that it was like God who brought him up from the pit, and so like as much as like he was like encountering, reflecting on himself, like I feel like that also like reaffirmation, recognition from like God and who he is and what he done also helped him.
0: Yes. Oh yes, yeah. I know. I agree with you on that. I don't know if I said it in a different way, but. Uh... and that was one of the metaphors that came up for the belly of the fish, right? Is a refuge that God provides. So yes, God provided that refuge and that gave him space to really um, think and reflect on what was important uh, for him, which he realized was to be in the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good point. Good question. Okay, Okay. Well, what about the group, uh, R- the Repentance of the Ninevites? I-, I know there are kind of a lot of questions packed in there, and that alone could probably take up a whole Bible study, but what are some thoughts that uh, the second group had? Is that the contemplative group?
3: No, that was... Uh...
4: Um, we also came up with more questions. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but we did talk a little bit about like um I think one of the questions talked about like prerequisites or criteria. Um and we talked about like the recognition and intentionality of change or like wanting change. Um but then we also talked a little bit about like, you know, if if in repentance we're looking for something different of, or like the promise of something better, like of a new life or um, a new beginning, is it still genuine if we're doing it for that new beginning? Like how, how, how does even that, I guess, sincerity get defined? Um, But yeah, I don't think we really came up with a actual definition of what is repentance besides what Google told us.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, what, if, what do, what do you all think then? What is repentance? I mean, yeah, we, we hear this all the time in church, right? Repent, repentance. Well, let, let's use a concrete example of the Ninevites, right? Uh, what did they do? Like, uh, really, okay, yeah, we know that we, we know what they did. Like, they they put on sackcloth and, you know, and like, why, why animals? You know, I mean, I, I think that just goes to show like how almost extremely they were doing their repenting, right? But underneath what they actually did, what was really going on? What were they doing? Read the text very carefully too. Any thoughts?
4: I mean is it like that they believed in God versus not believing in God?
0: Okay. Believe in what way? Just like I with their know. with their minds or were they uh
7: were they like showing worship?
0: Showing worship? Okay,
7: how so? This is something that we discussed in our group just talking about like I guess yeah. in the, the context of doing these things, Yeah. were they doing it just as in terms of actions to please God, or there was something deeper as in terms of their, like uh, a dynamic change of the people that they really wanted to do these things. Um, so this is something that we were kind of mm-hmm. just wrestling with.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good question. What do you guys think? Were they just doing it to kind of in a, Please God, or was there something else?
1: So, like just reading it again, um, when you ask that question, why are they doing this? There, it reads to me like they're stripping themselves of all kind of worldly desires and kind of like tastes, clothing. Not going to drink. It's almost like they're they're fasting. They're like like giving it all back to God because they've been so. Um, in excess with violence or whatever it may be, how they ruled or whatever, it seems like they're doing that. Um, I feel like it would be, it's a display to God that this is, you know, we're gonna give this all up. See, we're changing for you, kind of thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good points there. Yeah, they they stripped themselves of uh, of all those other maybe yeah trappings. Good. I mean, what else?
2: Um, just reading the, like, verses 7 to 9, to me, it kind of, like, the final, like, I guess, statement in that thing is, like, who knows, maybe God will spare us kind of thing. So, to me, it kind of seems like they're doing it just to protect their own thoughts, so to speak. Um, okay. Yeah. hmm
5: one of the thoughts that I had, and I discussed it with the group a little bit too. And I think I was cutting off because DP couldn't hear me as well. But um, this really is like when we're talking about the um, criteria of repentance, right? In this case, you know that saying, you know, you're only sorry because you got caught, right? So you had these guys going to there and. Ah, uh, you had uh, Jonah going there, lamenting over their 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 wicked ways, and here they are, you know, doing traditional displays of repentance, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, Simon. Right, the the like the old system versus what had happened as a re- as a result of Christ. Like they had to display their repentance through actions, whether that's like sacrifice of animals, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And that was the way that they could appeal to God. Now, so much soul is it different now where we have the cornerstone of Christ where we don't have to do those things, right? When we ask for forgiveness, we know that if we come in true repentance and true reverence that we are forgiven. Right now, going back again to the t- to the three days and three nights in, in the, the whale's belly, that was really the setup up for Christ and the new and the new um, covenant, if you want to call it. Yeah, the new covenant, because I mean, that's a clear representation for so the three days Jesus died. He was in the whale. So I'm, I'm tying all these signs together and I'm saying, you know, when compared to like Sodom and Gomorrah, why, why was they spared? I mean, that wasn't even a question that we had to answer, but it was like, okay, well, he's clearly defining Old Testament versus New Testament, or Old Covenant versus New Covenant. And I just made those, um, that connection together. My point here is that the, of the what they had to do to repent to God at that point was a, a basis of acts. Right, as opposed to what true, true true repentance should look like, which is what we have now in the new covenant. But that was my initial thought.
6: Mm, okay, David. Uh, I mean, David. Like to your point, though, I would I would kind of disagree that actually their repentance is based on action, because, um, like. In verse 10, it says, like, God, like, saw how they turned from their evil ways. And, like, I I don't even know whether, like, either now or, like, even right now, even if we do those same ways, if you're not genuinely trying, like, turning, like, over yourself over, like, doing a complete 180 from, like, inside out, and you're just, like, acting it out I don't really know whether you're even gonna like get God's like forgiveness from that like I feel like like a repentance and I'm sure like they're just showing it you know maybe it's like a tradition they do or whatever or like you said like that's a thing to show it you know but I still feel like there has to be some level of like sincerity that like they want to turn from this and like the king he even mentioned like you know all shall turn from their evil ways and so I feel like even the question of like, like to me, I read that as like, they know what they're doing is wrong. And in regards to verse nine of like, who knows me, he might change his mind. Like they're not sure if God will forgive them, but they will like do it anyway, you know, and like in hopes that like he'll be gracious enough to forgive his actions. Um, like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I took it. Cause like, I just, I, I personally cannot see myself if like, if I, for the actions I committed and I did were wrong. If, like, in my heart and soul, I still believe that actually what I did was okay, it's fine. But I will continue not to, like, out that, like, or not do those actions. Like, I feel like there's, like, that disconnect there. And I, I don't know whether i like, would <laughs> be repenting God, forgive me for that.
5: No, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, there had to be some sort of sincerity for God to actually truly turn away. Um, so I'm not arguing that at all. Right. It's, it, I guess what I'm really trying to get to at the end of the day is I guess it goes down to the core question like what is the prerequisite or criteria for repentance right so if they just had a turn of heart right and God is obviously able to, to identify that then what is the point of the sackcloth right was it just tradition right or was it because the king said, hey, you guys have to wear sackcloth and everybody has to turn away from their way and they're under that judgment, right? These are questions that we're never gonna get answered because it's not like we're living in that today, but it's just uh, just an area of thought. But uh, thank mm-hmm. you. And that was a really good introduction here.
0: Yeah, some good points there. Uh, so that's why, yeah, we have to read the whole uh, passage uh, very carefully I think sackcloth, uh, we don't need to get too hung up on it. Uh, I think that was an expression, right? Uh, um, especially if you read further. And I, I mean, DP, you mentioned verse 9, right? Really, this is the crux of it, right? They're like, who knows? You know, God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger. So in other words, they don't know what the outcome is going to be. So what are they really doing here, right? They are, uh, they are s- simply, um, they're they are waiting for God's mercy. Right? That's all it is. I mean, all that other stuff, yeah, sackcloths and all that, but it's maybe a form of their mourning uh, of their heart. But really, they're they are waiting for the possibility of God's mercy and that's what god saw and that's what changed i guess i'm answering the third group's question in some ways right <laughs> that's what changed god's mind at the end isn't it so what's the yeah what's the difference between that and uh, guilt i don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that <laughs> but if you, and if you did, you can share, but you know, guilt is, uh, I don't know. It's still, it's still more about me, isn't it? I feel bad that I feel badly for maybe things I've done or the way I am or who, or who I am. I just feel bad about it. And, uh, um, it's, It's maybe what I need to, oh, I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be like that. It's still about me. Right? Guilt. So there's still, if anything, there's a level of pride to it still. It's still about me. But repentance, which you see from the Ninevites here, it's not about that. They're simply waiting for God's mercy. So I don't know. I mean, uh, what brings us to the point of waiting for God's mercy, right? I think uh, if you look at like scripture, like uh, you have to see your need for God's mercy in the first place, right? If you think everything's all right with me, like I'm not that bad or things are all good, then you're not going to feel the need for God's mercy, so one of my questions was, uh, it was that some of you guys were asking, like, did they believe in God already? Like, probably not. Like, they, they're, they worshipped other foreign uh, deities and stuff, right? But somehow, uh, some re- somehow they were able to see their need for God's mercy. So, like, what's the criteria? I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily having the proper religious belief. It's the state of our heart. Do we feel the need for God's mercy, right? This is why, like, um, uh, when Jesus uh, first called, uh, uh, when he first met uh, Peter, who was Simon at the time, and remember, he, he told Simon to cast, to, they were they fishing all night, they didn't catch any fish. And so he told them, uh, but you know what, cast your net in deeper water. And he was like, oh, we've been fishing all night, but okay, if you tell us to do it, we will. And he caught all these fish, right? Uh, More than ever. But instead of focusing on that, most people, we would have been like, oh, amazing, sweet, huge haul, right? But instead he was like, um, uh, get away from me because I'm a sinner. In other words, somehow Jesus's uh, presence like made him see his need for God's mercy. Right? So I... I don't know. Maybe part of that spiritual journey for us in our life's journey is uh, uh, when, are, when will we get to the point where we see the need for God's mercy?
3: Right.
0: And that's true repentance. Right. And uh, and 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 you see, I mean, uh, you know, third group. Maybe you guys can, if you have anything to add. But uh, uh, that is what changed God's heart. Isn't that that's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, God gave these words to Jonah, 40 days, you guys are done. That's it. It's almost like he had already made up his mind.
3: Yeah, we were uh wrestling with that um question, the
7: difference between repentance hmm. and guilt. Paul brought up like um fear. And hmm. from what perspective, I mean, if you already know that you're doomed. What's it going to do to do all these acts and maybe hope and pray that there is mercy, which is somewhat, I guess, different from what you're talking about. Like if you're, I guess, using a logical mind of kind of expectations of the actions that you're taking for the outcomes that you're hoping to get, because, you know, it doesn't look good anyways. So was fear um, a main driver to, okay, well, why, why not do it? Kind
6: of reminding of like the current situation with that law professor, Georgetown, who said, China man, he's in a lot of trouble right now. <laughs> I don't know if you guys read about that.
7: And now he sent him
6: formal apologies. Is it out of guilt or is it out of fear of like backlash from, and now he's all over the news right now. And yeah. Now the Asian community, he's at the mercy right now. What the university will do and what the community will do. I
3: hmm.
6: think like, was he? I don't know what the like his genuine apology was. It real? I'm like, I don't know. He just got caught. I'm reading his statement, I was like, very interesting. Yeah. And not not that we're God in this perspective, but as Asians, it's like, do we show mercy? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe he like, needs to do 40 days of kumon and. That's the way you repent.
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, that that's a good point, right? If we're driven by guilt, why are we doing what we do? It's simply to make me feel better, isn't it? If I'm driven by guilt, it's not to address the actual issue. But uh, I mean, repentance, though you're not, you recognize the wrongdoing, but you're not trying to do things to yeah, alleviate or compensate you're but you're, you're waiting for someone else's mercy, God's mercy. Yeah. So think about that. I think there's a
1: big difference there. But wouldn't, so, when, so yeah. again, I don't know that the progression of what's going to happen later, but wouldn't true repentance be to change your ways and to rectify whatever wrongdoings you've done and try to fix the damage that your nation or whatever you've been doing. Again, I don't know what they're doing. It's like violence they talked about, Um, but they're almost just like, I'm so sorry for what we've done for this. Well, I think
0: God God saw their hearts. It says here that God saw what they did. Yes, so on the surface, but then how they turned from their evil ways. Uh, I I think he is, because until now, they hadn't, the text doesn't reveal that they did anything different other than the fasting and all that stuff, right? But he must have sensed uh, a change of heart, right? And I mean, to David's point, like Old Testament, New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, you know, uh, that's what the prophet Jeremiah said, you know, uh, there will come a time when I I write, engrave a new covenant on, uh, and that's written, engraved on people's hearts, right? Uh, and all those other forms, ritualistic things in the old Testament, that was more supposed to be an outer manifestation of what is in the heart already. Right? So that is ultimately what God looks at is, is our heart. Yeah. So I think that trans the heart, but the way to transformation is when we realize we're entirely at God's mercy, then our heart is able to be changed. Whereas guilt, I'm still trying to be in control. Uh, and, and change things. I don't think that'll ever change our hearts. It doesn't happen that way.
3: Okay. Yeah. So
0: maybe uh, I, I know uh, we're nearing our time. Maybe a final question I'll throw out there is uh, uh, from this, right? Uh, going back even to to Jonah, like the second time and and whatnot. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, what is what do you think salvation is? Maybe, maybe to answer that, what what are some common uh, salvation stories we hear, like testimonies
3: and whatnot?
1: When I think of salvation, I think of, and I'm not. I'm trying to be not the, you know, textbook, Bible study from whatever, when we were kids, but salvation is to find your purpose a little bit, Mm. to find meaning in your life, to do what you have, you are on this earth to do kind of thing. Um, that to me is more salvation than, Mm. than the other.
0: Good observation, Paul. If if Jonah ended after chapter two, I think that would be more of the typical testimonial story, right? Oh, you know, I, my life was heading on this course and, and I fell into the bottom of the pit, uh, but somehow God took me out of it. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. I mean, that's a very common uh, uh, testimonial story. Right. But uh, if you look at this chapter, I mean, that's part of the story. Right. But it's not the entirety of the story because there's a whole other chapter that happens after we are rescued from the bottom of the pit. There's another chance to live once again the life that we were supposed to live, right? And it goes to, I think Michelle mentioned that, you know, God's great, that's what God's grace and mercy is and does. It restores us back to. Um, being able to live our unique purpose and, and existence in our lifetime. So in other words, like, it, th- there's always another chance. It's never too late. I think that's really good news, right? Um, and and it's about a God who keeps uh, coming back for us. I don't know maybe because I'm a pastor, but everything like I somehow interpret theologically. Have, have any of you guys watched the uh, inventing Anna on Netflix? No. Well, it's number one right now. It's actually pretty entertaining because I like Shonda Rhimes shows, but anyways, uh, uh, in episode one, it's about a journalist. Like she, she's gets really intrigued by this this, uh, um girl who's in jail. Like she was kind of like maybe a socialite and uh, some, she got arrested for scamming and whatever. And, um, at first, she was playing really nice and just trying to be like, you know. But then uh, that wasn't getting anywhere because uh, she had to finally be blunt. Like, I want uh, your story in order to make my career go. But in exchange, I will actually. I'm giving. I don't want to give away too much, right? But um, but that made me think. I was like, wow. That that finally, when she got that gumption and that persistence, I was like that's that's like god you know god's not he's not just uh like oh hey if you want yeah just you know come along to me no god's like he's kind of relentless he wants us and then in return he promises i will restore kind of um your uniqueness and your unique purpose on this earth that's what i will give you but i want you to come to me you know so just this little something something but all right. I don't want to, any other thoughts or reflections?
3: Yeah. All right. Do share. This. I, I, can <laughs> I always share have it. a thought. I always have a
5: thought to share. Always, always. Um, the question really comes out, like talking about salvation and I guess as I was thinking for myself, but maybe many could relate to a certain degree. If you have believed in God for any sort of time, much like uh, what you were saying earlier about, oh, you know, I'm going to retreats and being on fire for, for the next week and you're all, you're all good there. And Not having that consistency and delving, diving deep. Into your relationship with god so if you if you ask yourself you know when did you start believing in god um and you take that as a time frame of like whatever say 10 years you know are you a 10 year old christian or are you a
3: a christian that's one years old 10 times Right.
5: And this goes back to what you were just saying, Simon, about after salvation. I mean, after, if, if we just had Jonah chapter two and that was it, that's a simple salvation story, right? That's a simple testimonial story. But what happens after? And I think that's what really matters being drawn back to our, our calling and our purpose and, and having the fruits of, of the Spirit, I guess you could say. Right, really bear fruit in the lives of ourselves as well as around. So I guess as a a question for not to be answered, but rather to be reflected on is if you were to remove whether psychological, physical, intrinsic or extrinsic factors in your life, that have prevented you from getting a deeper relationship with God. What would that look like
3: now? If you didn't have those barriers in your life, what would be different?
5: Kind of like, you know, if I had stayed consistent with my diet and exercise regime for the last 10 years, what would I look like? You know, I'm asking, you know, if, and it's okay. People are different parts of, the, of the, their journey with God. But I'm asking, like, if you, if you do have, you know, God written in your heart, right? Like, if the fear didn't hold you back, if you actually trust God, you know, and hold them to the standard that maybe Jonah did, right? Where do you think your life would look different? And I ask myself this, and this is a, challenge, a question I ask myself, and it looked completely different, right? So <laughs> no, no judgment here. I'm just throwing that
0: out. Yeah, I think uh, the salvation—it's not a one-time event. It's a—it's a life, ongoing, lifelong journey. It's not a linear thing. I mean, Saint Paul in First Corinthians, he—he—he he, he addressed them for those of us who are being saved, right? Uh, being saved, not just I've been saved and that's it. You know, it's—it's it's an ongoing. And that's uh, the theological term sanctification, right? Uh, That's what it's all about. It's ongoing work of God's spirit uh, in our lives. And I think Paul mentioned this once. uh, Even the life on the boat versus in the ocean, I think in our own life, we go back and forth too. It's not like we're only on one or the other. We still go back to the boat. Uh, Fear leads us there, whatever it is. But then uh, still, again, God comes back and will kind of pull us back into the sea. Right. Uh, I mean, life is life is like that. I don't, uh, you can't fit it into a, like a straight line or a box, but, uh, but what is constant, I think in all this is uh, God's yeah grace and mercy and unrelenting desire for us. That is constant. We are not necessarily constant, but that is right. So, and that's the good news um, of our
1: faith. So,
0: Yeah. All right, I think that's that's good for now. So, and the other thing too is if if Jonah ended again at chapter three now, that too would be an amazing story, right? This guy was literally, he was the most successful prophet of all. All these other, other prophets, actually, they all were kind of miserable failures in, in many ways. It's just the books that are left in their name, like that's what remains with us. But their lives is kind of miserable, right? But Jonah, this guy was successful. So but, so next week, though, we will see very interesting twist and turn, right? So, uh, so read it many times, re- reflect on it, mull over it, and uh, let's see what thoughts and questions you have. Okay, and, and also, yeah, let's write, You know, prepare your own reflection from this week, and let's see uh, what, what we have too. All right. Okay.